So despite COVID running amok, uh, I decided to actually make a bit of a business purchase. Now, I wanted to sort of upgrade my audio equipment because, you know, I've been using this blue Yeti uh, snowball microphone for some time. And, you know, it's gotten good results. But I ordered this new microphone off this third-party website here. And, and I have the box to uh, show it. It's kind of heavy. But uh, let's see what's inside. <laughs> it was weird. You know, you'd think you could just get this shit from like amazon or whatever mm -hmm. but you know they promised good good uh okay well there's no box or i mean there's no microphone um well that kind of sucks i'm hoping for a microphone and and all i got was a kid well, well, we'll deal with that later. Anyway, uh, welcome back to the Mars on My podcast. I'm your host, Sebastian Chuck. And <laughs> as always. Oh, hi, doggy. Uh, this is $13,000 on a microphone. <laughs> $13,000. Oh, my. Uh, well, well, once again, Ryan Mancini uh, reporting in from... Hot northern L.A. County. Hot is right. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I stepped outside today after getting back from work, um, and two things I noticed. One, we really are living in a bowl of soup. Uh, mm. But two, before we quickly jump to our topic, we are reopening our store. Mm. Um, I'm not going to say where I work, but you know where I work, mm. and... I'll just say it's a restaurant, and we have installed those glass panes that go in front of the registers. Now, I don't know how that's supposed to protect anything other than distance-wise, but the fact that it's not one of those um, one of those floor-to-ceiling kind of things that you see at like convenience stores, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how that's supposed to protect anything. But yeah, no, we're opening our doors, and I weep for humanity. Just make sure that you don't get any slacker friend to hang out and spit water on uh, guests' faces. That would not be uh, – even if they are reading the tabloids, which – That's the, that's the is fun a, part of it, though. It, which is a perfect <laughs> teaser for our topic. Um, <laughs> so why don't you tell everyone what you just saw um, that I've actually been kind of sitting on for the past – I want to say going on 24 episodes – there's a cricket on my curtain. Hold on a second. Oh, that's all right. We found a – my mom and I found a wolf spider in our house this morning, and uh, as uh, – yeah, uh, I'm not going to finish that sentence. All I'm going to say is I don't like spiders. <laughs> Get out of my fucking house. No, I didn't get it. Anyway, sorry. That was probably really loud. <laughs> so I've, I'm sorry. We'll get to it. I've been sitting on this movie going about 24, 25 episodes, whatever number we're on at this point. Uh, it's my favorite movie of all time, and you just saw it. I have finally watched Clerks. Kevin Smith's own Clerks. My God. I, I went into it not knowing the full extent of what to expect, but... To be honest, there, I after watching it, there's a part of me that really wishes more movies were like this movie. Uh, 
it, it's so succinct, but it has just about every kind of like weird trope from movies that I love, like dissected from those movies and dropped into this one. And it it was such a pleasant surprise. And I and I say this to somebody who's who I, I've been very on and off with Kevin Smith. Really. Uh, yeah, it, you don't like some of his work, or you just haven't really been a fan of it. Hey, well, I think it's it's kind I, of the all of his movies can't be zingers, right? And right. I think people go into watching Clerks um, for the first time knowing who Kevin Smith is and the reputation that he's built. Oh yeah, um, and then expect every movie to follow suit. Uh, in comparison. As much as I kind of like Clerks 2 as its own thing, as like sort of a buddy comedy movie, which is what it is, as mm-hmm. is the first one, um, it's lacking taste. You know, okay. and I'm, I'm in no ways a film critic by any means, okay? But if you compare Clerks 1 and Clerks 2, there's, there's no comparison. Mm-hmm. I still like Clerks 2, though I would be mm, sort of remiss if I admitted that I didn't really care for the new uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot that they had. Right. And that's just kind of where my opinions are polarized on the matter. I think a lot of people, much like... It's weird to draw this draw this comparison, but much like the, the Three Stooges movie that came out, like, what was that, five, oh. six years ago? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it, it was sort of like that, where it was like, okay, it's a return to form, but shittier. Let's just make it shittier. You know? I think they got Larry David for that, which kind of breaks my heart because I I worship at the feet of Larry David. Uh, if, if people want to understand my kind of humor, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, for me, like I, I think my first exposure to Kevin Smith was Dogma. Yeah. And I love it. I I to this day I still love it. I I don't watch it that often, regrettably, but if it's on TV, you bet your ass I'm gonna watch it. Um, right. and obviously the cast in that is so stellar. In fact, I, I probably, I feel like I'm one of the few people left on the planet who still know who Linda, uh, Fiorentino is. And I found <laughs> out about her through a completely different movie that wasn't Dogma. Um, mm-hmm. and boy, oh boy, the fact that Kevin Smith almost, uh, almost worked on a Superman movie with Tim Burton and Nicolas Cage and Christopher Walken. I mean, that <laughs> that's it, its Would own... it have saved the movie if he worked on it? Well, that, that's just it. He was working on it. Like, he he was, uh, w- without getting too much into uh, the, the story about the film Superman Lives, uh, which I'd recommend everyone check out, uh, the late, great John Schnepp's documentary, uh, the death of Superman lives what happened because uh, John Schnepp interviews Tim Burton and John Peters and Kevin Smith and all these people that were behind it. And it probably would have been the most in-depth nerdy Superman movie ever. Like, like I'll put it this way. This movie, uh, Kevin Smith, Superman would have been what Simon Pegg's Star Trek was like in that, you would have gotten the fullest like if you're a, a in Star Trek's case if, if you're a huge Star Trek fan you'll probably love Star Trek Beyond that was the case 
I believe, okay. and I say this not as I'm, you know me, I'm more of a Batman guy, but uh, I, I still would have watched it. Not to mention, Michael Keaton was rumored to have a cameo as Batman in this movie. So, uh, but it didn't film, so all we have are the concept art and all the behind-the-scenes uh, pre-production that you can find on John Schnepp's great movie. Uh, I had actually had a chance to see John Schnepp from a distance at a restaurant in Burbank. Um, which was where I used to work, uh, where he used to work and where I used to work. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So on the topic of working with, uh, clerks, <laughs> uh, clerking as, as, it, as they call it, you know, you go into this, this movie expecting mundanity. Okay. Yes. And for most of it, if you would have, if you wouldn't have had Jeff Anderson, Brian O'Halloran, you know, if you didn't have these characters, that's what you would have gotten. Mm-hmm. You know, coming from someone who's worked customer service, I feel like I'm among the thousands upon thousands of people who have watched this movie and say, well, this is why it's funny. And I'd, I'd have no different opinion because that is exactly why it's funny, because people are fucking degenerate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Deplorable. Deplorable, you know, depl- as, as a presidential deplorable. candidate once said. So <laughs> it was the only time she was ever right. <laughs> and that's the thing i just remember hearing about clerks you know from my own dad and of course he wouldn't let me see it i was too young and mm. when i did finally see it for the first time i didn't even get to enjoy it because it was on mm. mute and i was doing my homework oh yeah so you know i was so focused that you know i knew what clerks was because you see it and you think okay that's that's clerks it's black and white and mm-hmm. no other film willingly in, in the 90s would have been that way fun uh, fact by the way clerks is uh checking my notes clerks is 63 days older than me yep which w- was kind of a trip uh because i i feel like i don't get enough exposure to movies that came out the year i was born um oh i i wholeheartedly agree with you on uh you know working behind a counter and having a cash register and answering questions like, uh, how much is this? And there's a 99 cents, 99 cent sign right next to where the person picked up the item. I, uh, full disclosure, I've never worked in a 99 cent store. I'm just quoting the movie. Right. <laughs> um, no, no, but, no, right. I mean, it, well, it's it, also it, the, it's, it's also the, I don't want to say delusion, delusion of grandeur that, uh, our main heroes, Dante and, randall aspire to be because one of them at least aspires to be something greater right and for those of you who haven't seen clerks by the way fucking see clerks is my point um you learn that really none of that matters Mm -hmm. and you further learn in the sequel at least that and again, this isn't to spoil anything because it's a buddy comedy and everyone makes up in the end. So mm-hmm. what do you expect then the two of them to have a fight and make up in the end? Right. But th- this movie, it's my favorite for a lot of reasons. And the number one reason is the expectation factor is low mm-hmm. in terms of how you need to live your life in order to be happy. And I think we can both attest to this from personal experience that seeing a lot of people who would do anything to, you know, sort of desperately rise above where they are. It's really not that far off in terms of happiness 
of where you need to look because it's right there mm-hmm. in front of you. But, you know, people just have these ideas in their head that they need to be something greater. Mm-hmm. What's the point? I would argue this might be, you know, it, it, now when I think about the 90s, I, I now think of uh, the two, probably the two greatest works of existentialism since uh, uh, Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre, which is, uh, it's now Clerks and also <laughs> Fight Club. I mean, yeah. The, these are like the these two movies just and and I'm gonna obviously emphasize on Clerks more because that's what we're talking about. Um, Fight Club's a whole nother episode we could talk about one day, but because I finally fact, watched that this year. Fun fact: I've never seen Fight Club. It's it, it's such a good watch, but it's also such a good watch when you're somebody like me who has delved into the melancholia of existentialism. Well, and, honestly, Fight Club is is one of those movies that I was admittedly spoiled. Um, no. Yeah. Oh, I was well, too. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things where it's like, to, to kind of set the stage real quick, I was watching one of my favorite comedians on YouTube, and he was doing a live stream. And I'm sure this this definitely won't spoil it for you or anyone else who's seen it. But mm. he was recalling the time he saw it with his mom. And... Wait, Clerks Again, or Fight Club? Fight Club. Oh, boy. And, and he leans over to his mom, and he's just like, this motherfucker's dead. He's dead the whole time. <laughs> like, he guessed the twist. And again, this is me having no context of the movie whatsoever. I don't know who's dead or who's been dead the whole time. Okay? But th- there See, you go. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have gotten that impression that he was dead the whole time. I... I just got the impression he had a, he had a split personality and he like yeah. he basically turned into American Psycho except very different kind of psycho you know mm-hmm. but with this movie I mean it, it's there was something about it between you know the music even the cinematography like there was something very and I don't want to say it was very I mean yeah it was very 90s no doubt about it I, it's just that it had this veneer that the first two movies that came to mind, which actually, no, the first three movies that came to mind that it reminded me of uh, in the same kind of ironic way. It uh, And mind you, one of these movies is actually from the 80s and another one's from the 2000s, but they're both classic comedies. It gave me, it, it reminded me a little bit of Reservoir Dogs. It gave me shades of UHF with Weird Al Yankovic and Michael Richards, uh, which is, if you haven't seen UHF, oh boy, you're in for a treat. <laughs> and I even got a little, a little uh, oodle, if you will, of uh, Napoleon Dynamite in there. Like, oh, yeah. it, it was like somebody took all those movies and not as quirky, covered it though. in black and white and said, here's Clerks, which I would I would say not as not as quirky, though. Um, you know, if you take out any of the dialogue or mannerisms, because, you know, of course, but uh, Napoleon Dynamite, again, we're talking about other fucking movies, but last night, I swear, (laughs) (laughs) that was a quirky movie for the sake of being quirky, where everything just kind of works out in the end, where in Clerks, it does to a more sardonic degree, because Mm -hmm. everyone realizes sort of the futility of it all. Everybody's a... 30 something year old 22 year old so it, yeah it, it's which no yeah threw me for a ringer i was like wait dante's 22 dante's 22 
And, like, in the, and the sequel, they're 33. Uh, okay? So it, it especially puts it into perspective if you are in your you know early to mid-20s or, hell, even late 20s, or if you want to go to the sequel, early 30s, mm. and stuck in just menial shit that isn't indicative of your lifestyle, your skill set, fuck your education, mm. you know? And, yeah, it, it's the perfect movie that encapsulates all that and tops it off with a, it's never going to get better, so why not just sort of bask in it? But bask in it in a way that's that's productive and, you know, you can actually see the world around you for what it is. Yeah. Instead of, che- instead of chasing, um, you know, any other pipe dream that someone would tell you. Mm-hmm. You could probably guess who my favorite character is in the movie, but... Well, that was something I, I needed to address with you, and it wasn't so much it, – it, I'll put it this way. In all the years that I've known you, like, I, I thought I had you locked down, but every single time I listened to Dante and Randall speak, it, it was like I'd stroke out because I'd see and hear you because there there were too many times where Dante reminded me, like, between the presentation and what he had to say – I, I just remember thinking, like, I feel like I've had this conversation before, but I was receiving this. <laughs> and then I realized, wait a minute, this is a yeah. favorite movie. <laughs> um, and, and towards the end, I did start – I got more Shades of You via Randall. Mm-hmm. So – but if I had to pick which of the two is your favorite character, I'd probably say it's Randall. We have a winner. Ah. <laughs> When get, yeah, get that applause uh, soundbite from uh, Kenny and Pete. <laughs> that's a, that's my next investment. Um, assuming they don't send me another uh, another one of Angelina Jolie's foster kids, but um, you know I'll deal with Amazon when I deal with it. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know when it's funny, I I had these. I didn't see Clerks until I was about 22, which now, nah. yeah, right? <laughs> but I, but like I said, I knew that it existed, and when I when I used to work at Ralph's, of course I no doubt felt this way. Okay, mm-hmm. and I was looking for this sort of outlet in order to, um, you know, express myself of how I felt towards these certain groups of people because. Admittedly, at 17, when I was just starting to go into publishing, I had the idea that nobody had these ideas yet. Of course, you know, small pond, big fish. Mm -hmm. And that's what really kind of set off a series that I made. It was called uh, Courtesy Jerk, which was a, uh, a portmanteau of my position at Ralph's, which was a courtesy clerk. You know, I bagged groceries I stacked cards, I swept floors, and it was recounting all of my experiences in customer service, but with little, like, anecdotes or quotations. Okay. They were very sarcastic and a little bit too blunt for their own good in some cases, Mm -hmm. but that was what I made. And then when I stumbled upon Clerks, I was like, holy shit. If I would have watched the movie before I made the books, maybe this would have made, maybe this would have changed everything. But no, in a way, I'm glad that I found the movie when I did because it was it was relieving. 
If you look up mm-hmm. Kevin Smith's story, I mean, he used to work at that very same quick stop. That was his place oh. of employment. Yeah. That that close to home aspect, I mean, fuck, the movie was shot in New Jersey, so not close to home at all, but theatrically close to home. It was very it was very refreshing to me. Oh yeah. I, I mean it's you know, in a weird way, I, I I'm kind of in the same boat as you where I kind of wish because I, I think I was in my I was in my earlier, well, I, I can't say, yeah, I can say my early 20s because I'm now in my mid-20s. <laughs> but I I was working, you know, behind a cash register during my early 20s. And so much of what I saw in this movie reminded me of those days where, you know, it, it felt like all of my coworkers were Randall, you know. And, and like, a few people maybe were Dante. And I, and... I don't know who exactly I was. Maybe I was more like Dante, but it was just so fascinating to see uh, even even, for example, Randall uh, dealing with the one guest who she wants to pick up two movies and she tries to uh, throw him for a ringer. And he's like, I don't appreciate that you were trying to, you know, get a rise or, or trying to. Uh, yeah you um, set up a ruse to yeah, you, like mess <laughs> yeah. me up you like, and, me. And, and that's just it i wish oh my goodness all those years that i worked behind a cash register i flipping wish i could have told people that oh because yeah. i had too many times too many times to count where that happened um and, and then turning around to my coworker, and they basically would just kind of give me the same you know, dopey look that Randall would say, and then they would add it with a smart ass remark, which was nine times out of ten accurate. Mm-hmm. Um but dude, even from the opening of the movie, you know, with the doctor and all the cigarette smokers, like I, I remember it started and just kind of thinking, all right, well, you know, it's it's gonna be a very low key kind of, you know, dark comedy, uh visually and also comedy wise uh and then the moment that the guy the doctor is yelling at all the people that want to smoke cigarettes and at one point uh he calls dante uh mr merchant of death that was the moment when i realized i knew i was in for a ride because this shit would happen (laughs) like this is the kind of thing that you probably would see happen in a store especially now you know and it, it was something that, I, you know, as much as I was laughing, I still had that kind of mortifying feeling that Dante probably had, you know, being behind, you know, watching all these people kind of start forming a mob trying to to out him as, as the, you know, quote unquote merchant of death. But, you know, and then after that, it, it just kept on going. And I was so pleasantly surprised Uh now, when it comes to Jay and Silent Bob's inclusion in the movie, I must admit I'm a little bit mixed on their inclusion, mm-hmm. only because and and obviously this is the the curse that I've you know bestowed upon myself by seeing other stuff by Kevin Smith and hearing about Jay and Silent Bob through other avenues, and so to go back to the beginning, it's you know, it's like when you go back and watch the original Godzilla from the 1950s and 
He is not a big, cute, cuddly monster that you want to go on adventures with, kind of like Jay and Silent Bob. And I kind of got that impression with this movie. That being said, you know, it didn't detract from everything else that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, the whole everything from Randall's, you know, showing up to the store and then. My goodness. And I, I know we've talked about this before, but my God. The whole scene about those independent contractors working yep. on the second Death Star. <laughs> I knew I knew that would leave you a bubbly conversationalist as usual. Oh, my God. You would have something to say about that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's something that, you know. And, it's and, something and it's, that's just so ingrained in me, Sebastian. <laughs> like, you got to understand, St- Star Wars, Star Wars. Have, have you seen Empire Strikes Back? Well, it, yeah, it, I have. It hit me in that way that both as a pro-union oh, no, guy and a Star Wars fan. Return of the Jedi. That's what they were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Building the second. Yeah, their conversation was about building the second Death Star. Yeah. And, but granted, I've heard this in regards to the first Death Star about, uh, you know, about Luke blowing up this, the first Death Star and people saying, Luke just killed a planet's worth of people by himself. Like that, that in itself is its own argument along with yeah, what they were so talking did, about in the film. So did Grand Moff with Alderaan. What yeah. that? And, and I, 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 I keeled over the moment that, and I, I want to say it was the independent contractor that talks to them uh, where he may, or, or maybe Randall says it about uh, left-wing militants with lasers. That's the kind of conversation that I've probably had with people numerous times uh, and, and obviously we've had it several times. So it, it, it's kind of like the idea that something from clerks regarding star Wars has permeated throughout the culture and is almost like its own sort of totem on the, the star Wars timeline, if you will. Like the fact that I could probably pick up a Star Wars book. In fact, I, ha- I think I have a Star Wars year by year book that probably mentions this scene in Clerks, uh, unless something else was going on in 1994, which <laughs> something was. Uh, but it, oh god, I was just it was just too damn good. And then, so the whole thing with Dante and Veronica. Oh boy. <laughs> I mean, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. you know what? Speaking as a man who has been in relationships. Uh, yeah. So the, the what's happened in the past the discussion not come back up. <laughs> OK, is the discussion whether or not you need to repress the feelings that you may have had for someone in the past with someone new in your life? Or is it the fact that you were so in this rut that anything different or anything exciting is going to break you out of that, i.e. an old ex-girlfriend. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm watching this movie, and uh, at the time of watching it, it you know, I could, on, I could obviously see myself in these characters' shoes, okay? And it reignited some feelings from high school, I gotta be honest. <laughs> um... 
you know, I think Dante got a little bit farther than I did when it came to rekindling a flame with an ex-girlfriend. Well, it just took me so off guard when Caitlin shows up and Dante's like, yeah, yeah screw that, it. Let's just, you know, let's just start dating again. And I'm like, yeah. And, and I mean, like, how is this going to end? It can't end well. Okay? No. But in a way, in a way, with the whole speech that Veronica gives at the end before she leaves for good, it's very, you know, it's very cutting, but it's very truthful because it's a matter of settling for him. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he would rather not settle, but on his own terms. Because as you remember from the film, Veronica moved for him, mm-hmm. uh, stopped, I think, going to work. You know, you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but stopped doing all these things for him because he didn't want to continue in school. Right. Yeah. And Caitlin walking back into his life was, you know, sort of the easy, you know, she's got her own life going on. I can kind of just latch back into this. Right. And it can be no strings attached. Like, why would I in comparison, why would I ever want to be with Veronica? Right. If I you know, if deep down, if I need to start going for it, Randall, then Caitlin is is going for it. You know, Veronica Mm -hmm. is settling. Of course, that's never brought up. Veronica knows this. That's why uh, she wises up and leaves before telling him after um, telling him. And. (laughs) it's like what do you what do you want me to say that it's it's wrong to to sort of get the boot when you've been caught Mm -hmm. and and caught in a very um uh unfortunate coincidence because randall was the one who told her you know Mm -hmm. um yeah it was all fucky towards the end there because I think that like that was where thinking back to the beginning of the film where I just remember thinking to myself how my God, if they could have just somehow avoided how that conversation ended in the beginning of the movie, this whole sequence would not be happening. You know, like it, and, and, and I say all this because uh, I don't know, there was just something about that element. And, and maybe this was. And maybe I'm I'm tapping too much into the existentialism for this one, but maybe Dante was tapping into something within himself involving, you know, thinking back on his relationships and basically thinking, you know what, I'm just going to go off the walls and, yeah. you know, even if I make oh, a decision yeah. that's going to be detrimental to me now, it won't be detrimental to me tomorrow. Dude, which... it, is, it is the regretful... It is the regretful spiral that people, especially people who have dated or had, you know, uh, one night stands with or whatever. It's that spiral of regret that people fall into, you know, when when they say what if. Because when Dante and Randall go to the funeral, he's still sorry about the girl. Yeah, no, but he he is still sorry about this girl, you know, Mm -hmm. and... Of course, it's not shown. But fun fact, you can see that scene. It is a deleted scene. Um, It's animated, which is fucking hilarious, by the way. You need to see Corks, the animated series. Oh, God. It was only... No, dude, I gotta be honest. It was only on for six episodes, and then they pulled it. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's not that it was bad or anything. It's actually pretty funny. But this scene... What's up? Well, I was gonna say, who made it? 
Oh, God. Well, I know uh, Kevin Smith um, oversaw it, and they got everyone from the uh, original cast to voice in it. Right. Um, can't remember off the top of my head, but that scene is uh, is showcased. Mm-hmm. And to give you some context, he's still harping about this girl, and he's still saying what if. Mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking from sort of personal experience of, like, not so much wishing I was back to where – I was with previous relationships because they ended for a reason and I'm better off now. Mm-hmm. You know, you do kind of ask yourself once you get out of a relationship, what could you have done to make it not end the way that it did? Yeah. Because you're not focused on the bad times. Obviously you're focused on the more sentimental times and right. had Dante would have, you know, used any activity above the brainstem and <laughs> fucking wised up and said, Oh, well, you know, Caitlin kind of cheated on me. Uh, she was kind of an ass. And she did this, that, and the other thing. Maybe I shouldn't be with her. But no, you know, y- your brain is going to focus on those sentimental things as, you know, justified and validated. And there's nothing else. And yeah, I'm going to leave my current girlfriend for her. It's like, I don't... It's a but it's also time. Marilyn Gigliotti, and she was beautiful. So it's kind of like, come on, man! Like, yeah, that you're 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 going down a path. To quote uh, a certain senator from Naboo, you're going down a path I can't follow. Um, <laughs> and which which is very brief, brief, minor digression. I love how Dante says uh, Han and Han Solo the same way Lando does. He calls them Han. Yeah. Like, you know, hands and carbonite. I just remember sitting there and, and doing my Billy D. Williams chuckle, like, you know. <laughs> you um, said but, hand just like I do. But the but hey, to sort God of wrap city, you need a district attorney. I'm just the man for the job. <laughs> to, to sort of wrap up my point, it's mm. it's relatable in the sense that it does happen and mm-hmm. the feelings do sort of cloud your judgment. Um yeah, and to have that to have that showcased, you know, portrayed in a movie, it's I don't know. I think that's what made me connect myself to the film a lot more because mm-hmm. I know that this is how people legitimately act and maybe fiend for sort of a lost passion. Like it sounds it sounds stupid, but mm-hmm. If you've ever been a relate in a relationship that went moderate to highly well, then once it's over, you kind of wish it wasn't over to some degree. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, unless you think of a reason where, uh, you know, you start realizing, well, in hindsight, there was a moment that came later on that was the perfect impetus for it to, to be over. But well, yeah, like Caitlyn cheating on Dante. <laughs> Right. And and it's exactly. kind of like and I think that's where, you know, if, if I had to think about kind of not only my own past relationships, but even just people I know in relationships in general, you know, to see uh, to see Dante make that decision, even though he's unhappy with Veronica for what she's done, what she's done is before they dated. Like. Yeah move on man i mean you know i i, I wasn't that way yeah. in my last relationship i it was like well i'm next you know the, so it, it's 
the uh, the pinning the blame on certain aspects previously is, I think, the most pettiest bullshit you could ever do. But, mm-hmm. but, not gonna lie, it has been sort of spun the other way personally, where it was like, really, you you've been with like that many people. <laughs> You know, I'm not mad. It's just like it's kind of disheartening a little bit because when you go into a relationship, you're kind of like, oh, well, this is going to be special until you realize that it isn't, you know, and it's very it's like, well, you know, number 15 or what? Oh, no, 37. (laughs) Uh Oh, that that was great, too. When uh, when. she comes back, and I think it's when she comes back with the lasagna, and you can just hear Randall. In there. Yeah, 37. <laughs> oh, my God. I, it was like, <laughs> those are the kinds of things that I am always so happily surprised in a movie when somebody off screen just fleetingly says or does something, and it's and it transmits its way to what you're watching, and it knocks you off your feet like that was a moment that was just too damn perfect you know it, it's it, in a way it's kind of like um there's a scene in later in airplane when one of the stewardesses goes up to the front of the plane and ted striker says uh hey randy you know it might get a little bumpy up here you should probably get back with uh passengers so randy turns around she leaves the cockpit and then all of a sudden you just hear her scream and this like banging of like you know, it almost sounds like pots and pans, but it, it's like she crashed into something walking out the door and you don't see anything. You just hear it. And it's funny, you know, and mm-hmm. the fact that Randall does that by just going 37 and it's oh, oh, mm, mwah, just perfect. Uh, and let me just say this. And I, I look I'm looking at my notes kind of. uh loftily as i say this because i circled this phrase down which is i am a milkmaid um because i i i have and this is a habit that my mom instilled in me oh my god where (laughs) are you a guidance counselor too i uh, (laughs) man handling the eggs oh no no i'm the guy that goes to the back of the milk cartons to make sure that's the milk carton that's going to last 10 years and not oh, the one in the dude, front dude. that's going to last me the next 30 seconds. Um, dude, th- oh. there, there is nothing that you can't see or that you won't see working in a supermarket like that. I guarantee it. Okay. The milk thing, not so much the egg thing. Oh God. But that, what I, but what I did have, perfect. but what I did have is, um, as I'm cleaning, just a little aside, as I'm sweeping the floor, an mm. egg just falls from out of nowhere. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it's an abandoned store. You gotta be, like, like, there's nobody in the store. But I go to the next aisle over, which is the eggs, and there's just an, there's just an egg carton sitting there, open, on the ground. Doors open. The freezer door's open. Missing uh-huh. one egg. I'm oh like, my god fucking throw an egg over the aisle and run <laughs> i'm like is it... that is so nutty yeah like yeah you know i i worked in a restaurant i never saw an egg 
fly anywhere it shouldn't. I'm honestly not even sure. Actually, I take that. I was about to say I didn't see any eggs. I did see eggs. They were in the salads. But, oh, God. like, oh, my goodness. And and, and then having the guy uh, who I think is the guy who ends up dying in the bathroom. Yeah, the, the, the old the, man. The response that Dante gives where the guy asks him, hey, what kind of toilet paper do you sell? And Dante's response Sebastian, I swear to you, I I thought I had heard it all and seen it all and, you know, lived a long enough life where if November 3rd doesn't work out, well, you know. And then Dante says, well, we have the white kind. And he's talking about toilet paper. I mean, and, and then the guy, the old guy goes further talking about his hemorrhoids, and I, I just oh lost God. it. I mean, it, it yeah. was... Not only have I heard myself in discussions like this before with people, uh, both behind a counter and not, I, I watched this movie and all I kept thinking was, damn it, these people are saying all the things that I wish I could have done behind a counter and a cash register and a phone. You know, like like I, I mentioned earlier about how the discussions that the characters have, I've had those in you know in my previous jobs. But there's certain moments where, you know, whether it's, uh, again, Randall telling the get the one guest, you know, I don't appreciate you trying to, you know, set up a ruse for me. And then this guy saying, you know, oh, it's not going to be good on my hemorrhoids. My jaw dropped because I was just thinking, oh, my goodness, this movie's like showing me a mirror into my past self. You know, <laughs> it was just it was too spot on. And. And and I, I got to say this, what was the deal, you know, this is going to be the most 90s sounding question. What was the deal with hockey in the 90s? I mean, come on. You know, God. you got Wayne Gretzky, you got Clerks, you got Wayne's World. I mean, come on. I actually don't think anybody played played hockey, uh, played hockey in Seinfeld, uh, I think. No. I don't think any of them knew how to play in Clerks either. <laughs> like, because I, I just remember thinking to myself, wait a minute, we're cutting away to a hockey game yeah. store. where have I seen this before and then I could just very distantly hear Dana Carvey go game on uh, yeah it, game I, on <laughs> car <laughs> oh my goodness it, it makes it really makes me wish I would have had you know sort of uh, you know ownership or that kind of position menial or otherwise at a store like that because it, it's a position that you really have nothing to lose and everything to gain because look at the setup manager isn't even on site. He's by phone call saying that he needs to, he needs to go in, you know, Mm -hmm. nobody else is working. Uh, Technically Dante and Randall are coworkers because they are the same store. If you look it up on the, uh, the askew universe, uh, which Mm -hmm. is Kevin Smith's like take on like, Oh, Marvel, uh, universe that spans multiple movies which is fucking genius by the way um yeah they are the same store owned by the same person who doesn't even show up to manage right that's been all my jobs by the way so at that point sky's the limit okay he's he did a pretty good job i mean granted he was ignoring his customers while he was on the roof um and they all wanted cigarettes but uh, i digress yeah. It's just the kind of environment where you're like, man, wouldn't that be fun? 
But apparently to Dante, no, because, you know, he's working for uh, slave wages, um, shitty hours, and just an all-around downer, you know? And it was truly reflective of how I used to feel, because it's... It's easy to feel important mm-hmm. when you're put in a position like that. And I think Dante tries to justify it to some degree, even though he knows that his position is shitty. Yeah. Where he thinks it's so important that things get done to the degree exactly. that a clerk needs to get things done. But you grow up, you have some life experience, and you have some job experience especially, and you grow up to be... Someone like Randall, who I like to believe I emulate to some degree. Mm-hmm. But it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not, you know, all that glitters, man. It ain't gold. <laughs> it, it's just, it's a very, it's a thing that's not meant to be taken seriously. Whether or not you get paid a certain amount or, you know, have a certain position or the the status that I think is more along the lines of what you want others to perceive you as versus personal. Mm-hmm. I sort of just gave up on that and not give up on my own ambitions, but gave up on the, the expectations people would set upon me. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, you're a clerk. What next? It's like, what do you mean? What next? <laughs> I'm comfortable. I make good money. I work with some decent people and I'm having a blast, you know? Yeah. This, you know, and, and this is why I implore you to watch the sequel, even though, even though it's not on par uh, with the first one Mm -hmm. and there is some choice wording and comedy that would definitely not stand the test of time in 2020. You know, man, it's, it doesn't take that much to be fulfilled in life. It really doesn't. Yeah. And shit, man, I I can't imagine chasing some uh, some fish hook that's just never going to leave that's never going to leave me fulfilled. You know, it, it could mm-hmm. it could lead to enjoyment, but I don't think I'm ever going to be truly satisfied if I'm not in a place where I can look around me and be like, yeah, this is it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it. there was something. There was something about this movie that and and obviously, like with everything going on, uh, you know, between quarantine, coronavirus, uh, our government trying to kill us, uh, you know, beloved people passing away it, it with all of that going on in the back of my mind, in a, in a twisted way, there was something so emblematic with this movie that it hit me in a way that – and this is going to sound like a real stretch. But it hit me almost in the same exact way that both uh, – and we talked about this when we had our, our, first, uh, our first quarantine episodes, uh, which is – to me, this movie had the same – or at least a similar type of effect that both Bohemian Rhapsody and Joker had where – those two movies are very emblematic of the time period that we were living in pre-coronavirus, and arguably you could say whether or not those still apply now. With Clerks, 
it's so emblematic of what you could argue as the last normal time in American history, meaning the 90s, as as uh, messy as the 90s were. You know, there's this monotony and this feeling of misfortune for these characters that, you know, I mean, outside of, I mean, don't get me wrong, Randall's a bright guy, but Wikipedia had it right. The guy is, you know, he is a slacker. But him and Dante, the fact that they're working the jobs that they work and they feel the way they do, it's so emblematic of how, you know, society can take people that, you know, it that society itself wants to be, you know, these big entrepreneurial businessmen who are going to be rich at 30, when in reality, we haven't, we, our society doesn't set people up for that. In fact, it does the opposite. And, and I say it, it's uh, emblematic of the 90s because obviously you don't have the over masturbatory American exceptionalism that you get with post 9 11 and Iraq war movies. You know, like like in a weird way, I I can easily understand how a decade can give us both clerks and starship troopers <laughs> because one shows us who we really are and the other one shows us what we think we want to be, which is not good because Starship Troopers is all about uh, basically fascism destroying uh, – you know, eradicating other species, uh, but doing it in a way that's almost like satire. Whereas this, you know, I, and, and th again, this will be a stretch. I would argue this movie is the Joker of the nineties, you mm. know, in, 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 because as I said before, Bohemian Rhapsody is everything that we need right now. We need something that's going to be uplifting and something that's going to cheer us up and make us feel like champions right uh and joker is showing us who we really are to quote yeah. or to paraphrase another joker <laughs> well well clerks doesn't cheer you up it tears you down to basic humility and humanity Correct. and then it and then it leaves you to piece together what to do next right and I'd honestly go so far as to say, does Joker have a happy ending as well? No, not in the slightest. Neither right. does Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay. Now, they could all be portrayed as having the quote-unquote happy ending of finally being able to discover who they are as a person. Okay, that's great. Where does that leave the audience? Okay. Mm -hmm. And in Joker... Uh, I'm sorry. In, in Clerk's case, where does that leave you? Does that leave you the shell of a 25 year old or a 22 year old in both of our respective cases searching for the next best thing or being content with what we have and improving ourselves personally and hoping that the world will change around us you know there's a lot to do yeah. in the world are we gonna do it alone of course not are we gonna have to think about it alone god i hope not because <laughs> i I'd much rather die. <laughs> Seriously, well, to have hey. that to have that weighted burden on you is you know what all three of these movies have in common actually mm -hmm. near the end. Mm -hmm. It's all about letting go. 
it really is all about savoring that one last moment. And yeah. in Cler- and in Clerks especially, that is done when uh, Dante and Randall have that fight at the end. Yes. And in the next scene, they immediately make up because they know that it isn't important. And this is them. This is how they truly feel. This is what the movie's been building up towards. Yeah. You know, and granted, to borrow a phrase from the movie, he wasn't even supposed to be here today. Well, if he wasn't there today, hypothetically, he wouldn't have gotten taught that life lesson. So I don't know. Well, I just hope. I guess my thing is, is I hope he got the life lesson because that that's the impression I've kind of gotten throughout the whole movie where, you know, I, I and, and this will also sound weird. I, I kind of started looking up to Dante because he seemed he seemed to be like that one voice of reason that I feel like I didn't always have with my coworkers. Uh, and so sometimes I stepped into that role. And and sometimes it bit me in the ass, which clearly that, that kind of happens with him too. But he's also this air of authority that doesn't totally care, you know. Like he's he's willing to let his friend basically hang out behind the counter giving cigarettes to kids, and he doesn't seem to care all too much that ultimately the penalty is probably going to come down on him. And potentially his manager as well, who never shows up. And in a twisted way, it's kind of like he just and, – and this ties back with the existentialism. It's almost like he's just like, eh, $500, and it's all right. Which there is something admirable about the fact that he is as careless as he is, but he's also a fairly rational guy, I would say. I mean, you know, as much as he steps into – dog shit a few times he winds up kind of coming back around with a good point whether he's arguing with veronica or you know just his dealings with everybody i mean when the guy when the old guy is being uh carried out and they got the coroner there you hear everything he has to say and you're thinking well this guy yeah he's probably he's probably culpable but at the same time like he's a victim of circumstance in a weird way and that's what happens with people sometimes is that they they get caught up in something and all they can say is, well, you know, I saw everything happen from a distance and, you know, oh, look at that. There's a body in my house. You know, like like it, it, it's that sort of it's that sort of thing that one could argue we all fall into that in some way or another. Um, uh-huh. But. Yeah, I mean, it was just and, and and I think my trepidation from watching Clerks years ago was and, and, you know, mind you, my my thoughts on movies and, you know, what constitutes as a good movie and this, that and the other have changed so much that when I was first ever exposed to Clerks and I don't I have no idea how old I was, but it was long enough ago where the first time I ever saw footage from the movie, it had the opposite effect that I had today wanting to see it. it. It was kind of like the low budget quality, the black and white, the fact that it was in the nineties and it wasn't, you know, backed by a major studio. All of that for me was a turnoff. And on top of that, I was, you know, like I said, at the start of the show, I was very kind of up and down with Kevin Smith outside of like, you know, dogma. 
And obviously a lot has changed <laughs> since days of yore. But at the same time, it was so well worth it to go through it. And then on top of all that, realize that there was enough to the movie that felt not only relatable, but also it, it was great quality. I mean, it, I mean, that's why I, I mentioned uh, Reservoir Dogs. There was something very early 90s Tarantino about it, which, you know, we, we've said this before. We love Reservoir Dogs. So if, if you're going to somehow have a taste of that in this movie, sign me up. Then once you actually get down to breaking down the dialogue and hearing what everybody says, it goes back to what we've been saying this whole time. It, you know, it's relatable. We, we've been there. So I, I, I can verify that I will be I will be uh, bending the wind just to find Clerks 2 because um, I'm, I'm absolutely curious now what the second movie's like. No. Yeah. And again, I didn't want to spoil it kind of too much because it is the movie that that caps things off rather well, you know, and it leaves you with a good feeling, much like this one does. But um. To my question of whether or not the audience can sort of, you know, dictate whether or not uh, the fulfillment in their own lives is portrayed by clerks. Mm -hmm. Again, that's just something that you have to think for yourself. Now, if you're watching Clerks 1 and then Clerks 2 wondering that same question, well, does Dante ever find his fulfillment or Randall or any other characters from the movie? you're just going to have to watch and find out honestly. And it will answer that question mm -hmm. at least in a portrayal sense. Uh, the only thing left is what are you going to do that makes your life fulfilled? And, and given that that's a message, I mean, let's face it. That's the message we're all, uh, yeah, we're all searching for right now. It's, it's like, um, what, yeah. What are you going to do in, in times of uncertainty where you're miserable quite clearly and nothing seems to be working. Yeah. You know, are you going to are you going to chase the shitty pipe dream or are you going to sort of bend and twist and 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 crawl not so much in a in a bootstrapping manner, no, but mm -hmm. in a sort of balls to the wall, this is life, fuck it. Let's try something new. To wrap this up, I I Cannot thank you enough for <laughs> for for talking to, talking with me about this movie and you know like hey you talk my ear off about Jaws all right it's the <laughs> least I can do oh I'll I'll mention this before I before we uh, wrap things up when Randall's got the salsa and the chip and he oh. says uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> little you show. go in the cage cage goes in the salsa you are you in the salsa cage in the salsa Shark in the salsa. salsa Our shark. shark. Oh my god. Again, mwah, just <laughs> perfect. You know, I, I Oh. I mean that that could be the title of this episode, Sharks in the Salsa. Um uh, or or maybe even please Mr. Merchant of Death, who knows. Um <laughs> that, that sounds like a, that almost sounds like a metal album if you think yeah, about it. Yeah, it really does. It sounds like something oh. Motorhead would would uh would make. <laughs> or Megadeth. <laughs> anyway where can the good people find you well uh i thankfully am still on twitter uh i haven't thankfully. been hacked by uh, bitcoin fiends that oh. uh 
yeah. you know, have attacked such uh, wonderful establishments like uh, Uber and uh, uh, Elon Musk. Elon um, Musk, but yeah. Bill Gates, Jeff, Be- Jeff Bezos. But, but they're philanthropists. Okay, <laughs> well, in that case, I can just uh, copy your wallet to mine and uh, get a transfer. No, that's that's not the case. No, of course not. But you can find me at Mancini RA. Uh, and when it comes to Instagram, uh, you'll always be able to find me at Mancini Ryan. Uh, in case anyone missed it, I'll make sure to share it again on both my social and the Mars on Life social. Uh, our uh, friend of the show, Amanda, is looking for people to help her out with the documentary. She is also looking for uh, a studio to uh, be able to start conducting some of these interviews and getting things underway. So uh, to those, some I know some of our listeners may have some of those connections or offices available. Uh, you know, feel free to get in touch with us. And before we wrap up, Shugsy, where can the good people find you? All right. Well, actually, you just reminded me. Thank you. Um, because I wanted to announce that I have some new projects brewing. Um, specifically music. Now, this is something that I hinted about in previous episodes of something that I was trying, and it is under the handle of uh, Shugzy, S-C-H-U-G-Z-Y. Now, I have a few singles out, um, mainly instrumental stuff, uh, one album as well. It's called 33%. Uh, We have another one coming out on the 20th. Well, I do. Uh, another one on the 20th, and then another one on the 1st of August. Uh, so be on the lookout for those. Huge shout-out to DistroKid. They are my distribution service. Um, but in terms of uh, other content, you could find me online uh, through social media handles, Dr. Sebi, for both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I use one more than the other, if you haven't already uh, <laughs> been made aware. Instagram is at D-R-S-E-B-B-Y, while Twitter is at D-R underscore S-E-B-B-Y. It honestly just keeps getting worse and worse, and to tell you the truth, I'm thinking about just deactivating my account altogether. (laughs) Feel free to send me a manuscript at Sebastian Shug Publishing through either email or telephone. Yes, smartphones can do that now. And other than that, oh, uh... Feel free to also check out my daily narrations on YouTube. That is under the handle of Seabass, yes, like the fish, as well as my audio archive, Shugsy Storytime, which uh, showcases all my episodes that are on my YouTube channel. Music, books, photos, <laughs> illustrations, stickers. I mean, quarantine's really got us all bored at this point. So, you know, oh, uh, yeah. just look my name up into Google and you'll find it. Fun fact, they actually gave me back my publisher title on Google, so I'm no longer some filthy author filthy casual (laughs) Uh, so that's that's fun but anyway see you guys soon watch clerks you've been listening to mars on life please make sure that you find us over on social media at mars on life show on both twitter and on instagram and on top of that you can find this show on anchor spotify and apple podcasts Our artwork is done by Zachary Erbrick, and our intro music is Space Explorers by Kevin McLeod. I've been Ryan Mancini. My co-host, as always, is Sebastian Shug. And just remember, if you keep on going, you'll make it to Mars.